Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for Sunday, October 9th, 2022. This morning, we are continuing the new teaching series we began last week entitled Ears to Hear, where we are exploring Jesus's words to the seven churches in Asia from the book of Revelation and seeking to listen to the prophetic and pastoral message that we need to hear today. Last week, we began by looking together at the blessing that begins the book, the greeting to the churches, and then at the beginning of John of Patmos' vision in Revelation 1. But our focus was on the greeting in verse 3, which says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And so Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that there's a special blessing, not only for the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy of Revelation, but there's also a blessing on those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. And as we noted last time, embedded in that blessing is an invitation, and it's an invitation to listen. And because Revelation is addressed to the seven churches in Asia, this invitation is more specifically an invitation for the church to listen. It's an invitation for the church to hear and take to heart the words of the resurrected Jesus and be shaped by them. And the two chapters that follow, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, contain the messages of Jesus to each of the seven churches. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which is a genre in which a revelation that involves the unveiling of the mysteries of the future is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient. And and while it certainly is true that Revelation concerns the mysteries of the future, at the same time, Jesus' messages to the churches in Asia have a very here-and-now nature to them. These are very much messages to specific churches in specific places facing very first-century problems. So there's a very here-and-now aspect to Jesus' message to these churches. Something else that we see about these messages is that they follow a very distinct pattern. They all follow a distinct pattern. There's a greeting And then, with just a couple of exceptions, Jesus offers words of affirmation, words of correction, a promise, and then at the end of the address to each church, there's a refrain. And this morning, we're going to look together at Jesus' message to the first of the seven churches, which is the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a major port city and the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was also located on the trade route from Rome to the east, which made it an important business city. And it was the home of a magnificent temple to the Roman goddess Diana, which was so magnificent, in fact, that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The first century population of the city is estimated to have been somewhere between 200 and 250,000 people. And so this was a major urban center. 
uh, which reminds us uh, that the Christians who were meeting in their house churches, the Christians that Jesus was addressing, would have been a very tiny minority. All right, with all that in mind, let's listen now to Jesus's message to the church at Ephesus. Revelation 2.1 begins, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now we noted earlier that each message begins with a greeting. And here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, we see that the greeting is directly related to the vision that we looked at in chapter 1 last week, where John saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like a son of man holding seven stars in his right hand. And that one like a son of man we saw last time was the resurrected Jesus, and the seven golden lampstands were the churches. And so the message to Ephesus very fittingly begins, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of Jesus. And from there, Jesus offers his words for the church, beginning with words of affirmation. Look at verse 2 of Revelation 2. He says, I know your deeds, right? And Jesus, of course, we remember knows because he walks among the churches, as he has said. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. We see there that Jesus praises the church at Ephesus for their hard work and their perseverance. And so this was an active church. They they were doing stuff. We can imagine that these followers of Jesus were were all about the the tasks of the early church, as it's described in Acts chapter 2, that they were devoted to teaching and prayer. They were meeting together regularly, breaking bread together, and, and meeting the various needs that existed among them. And then, in addition to their hard work and perseverance, Jesus also affirms them for holding fast to the truth of what they believe. And specifically, they had not tolerated wicked people and had successfully tested those who had claimed to be apostles but were not. Jesus actually names a group of these want-to-be apostles in verse 6. 
He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, although Jesus names this particular group of false teachers, both here and later in his message to the church at Pergamum, we don't really know much about the Nicolaitans or what they taught. Some of the early church fathers suggested that they were disciples of Nicholas of Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism, who's mentioned in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, as one of the seven who were chosen to help the apostles care for the needs of the community. But that may or may not be true. What we can ascertain is that these were the sort of heretical teachers that the Apostle Paul had warned the elders at Ephesus about in Acts chapter 20, when he sent them a message to be on their guard, because even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. Well, Jesus' praise for the church at Ephesus reveals that they had not been deceived. The church at Ephesus had the gift of discernment, and they were clearly using it well. And so the church at Ephesus is praised by Jesus for their untiring and diligent work and for their adherence to the truth. Now, in addition to the words of praise that Jesus has for the church at Ephesus, he also has words of correction. Look again at Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And so Jesus' correction for the church at Ephesus is that they have forsaken the love that they had at first. So somewhere, somehow, the church had lost some sense of their connection to the greatest commandment. I love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is calling them back to that. But, you know, as we see from the text, Jesus's correction is really cryptic. Now, we don't have a lot to go on that gives us any kind of certainty about exactly what this actually looked like for the church at Ephesus. Now, we do know from Jesus' words of praise for their steadfastness when it came to holding their beliefs that this community was very well grounded in their love for God. And based on that, you know, I would, I would maybe speculate, and, and full disclosure, I am speculating, that Jesus' correction may not have been so much about this church forsaking their love for God as it was about them forsaking their love for others. And maybe even more specifically, forsaking their love for one another. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, perhaps all of the challenges to their doctrine and all the testing that they were constantly having to do of the people who claimed to be apostles among them had taken a toll on their ability to love one another well. 
Or maybe they had lost something in terms of what it meant to love one another through service. And we're not washing one another's feet, figuratively speaking, like they had in the past. Maybe they were not sharing meals together in the way that they once had, or sharing their resources with those who were in need as they once did. Maybe they were not caring for the widows and orphans among them as they had. But whatever the case may have been, Jesus's love was somehow not radiating from this community like it once had. And he is calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn back. He's inviting them to listen to his call for the church to love. And so, as we consider Jesus's call to love, what might his call be to us, his church today? As we consider Jesus's call to love, what might his call be to us, his church today? How might he be calling us to repentance? What are the ways that we might not be loving each other or loving our neighbors like we did at first? And when it comes to loving each other, you know, something that we've been talking about a lot here at Highway lately is how slow the return to church and the return to our community life has been as we have been emerging from the pandemic. We've been back meeting in person in various forms for a year and a half now, but, but all the variant surges and the time that it took for the vaccine to become available for kids and the new habits that we formed out of necessity for how we've engaged with church community, all of those things have just made the process slow. And there's no way that there isn't something lost in that lack of presence and lack of connection. And so our focus this year on, on resurrecting our community life through being together, serving together, and serving one another is in many ways about returning to loving one another like we have in the past. And so I think there's definitely an invitation for us to hear when it comes to loving one another uh, in a way that makes our love for Jesus known in our surrounding communities. Now, if that was a more pastoral word for us from Jesus. I think there's also a prophetic word for the church here as well uh, when it comes to loving our neighbor. And when we read through the Gospels, it's impossible to miss the emphasis that Jesus places on the poor and the outcast and the marginalized. Uh, Jesus was not focused on the religious establishment during his ministry on earth. He was focused on proclaiming the good news of the kingdom to those who were on the outside. And he crossed the boundaries of race and gender and social status time and time and time again to do it. And part of the reckoning that the church is undergoing right now revolves very much, I think, around our failure to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. And whether it's our neighbors who are experiencing racial injustice or our neighbors who are immigrants or our neighbors who are a part of the LGBTQ community, or our neighbors who are experiencing gender dysphoria, or our neighbors who are unhoused or underhoused, as the church, we are not known by our love as we should be. Over the past few years now, 
God's Spirit has been stirring here at Highway in some really beautiful ways, as we have sought to be shaped by his heart for racial justice and his heart for the least of these among us. Right? But there is so, so much more to do when it comes to hearing Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves. And my prayer is that we will continue to have ears that are open to hear. Now, there's one more thing that I'd like to highlight that provides some important framing, I think, as we seek to have ears to hear both this morning and over the course of our series. Jesus' words of correction for the church at Ephesus, right? his, his words of correction for this community that is so faithfully and diligently following him in so many ways, uh, reminds us of something very important that I think we can often lose sight of, and that is that the church is not perfect. That the church is not perfect. I know, shocking, right? But here's the thing. For as much as we know that the church is not perfect in our minds, I think there are a lot of ways that we still expect the church or maybe ways that we want the church to be perfect in a way that it most probably won't. And at the core of that expectation or that desire is I think something that's very pure and good. Right? We want the church to represent Jesus well. Right? We want the church to represent Jesus well, and that's a really good desire. You know, we talked last week about how this is an interesting time right now for the church in America. But we shouldn't be surprised by the state of the church. Right? The church has always been flawed. It's always been rife with conflict. The letters that we have to the churches in the New Testament, as well as these words from Jesus to the churches in Revelation, all attest to that. And of course, that's in no way to excuse uh, the place that the church finds itself presently. I'm just saying that we shouldn't be surprised. Well, interestingly enough, at the same time, I think that the church, uh, broadly speaking, has also placed that same standard of perfection on itself. Right? The church wants to be perfect, or more accurately, the church maybe wants to appear to be perfect. And that, unfortunately, manifests itself in a lot of ways that look a lot more like pride than humility. And so I think it's important both to name and reframe that, that expectation that exists consciously and or subconsciously for the church to be perfect. Because that's an expectation that's more rooted in American culture than it is in Jesus. That Jesus doesn't expect the church to be perfect. And we see that from these words that we have in Revelation, right? And the balance that's there between affirmation and correction. Jesus doesn't expect the church to be perfect. What Jesus wants, though, is a church that listens to his voice, and is willing to continuously pursue him and partner with him in his ongoing mission of making all things new. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus's message to each of the churches ends with a refrain, and that refrain is actually the, the inspiration for the title of our series. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love the mystery of those words from Jesus and the way that they remind us, almost hauntingly, uh, that you can listen to something without actually hearing. You can listen to something without actually hearing. That always makes me think of those old characters from Saturday Night Live, Hans and Franz, uh, the bodybuilders, who always used to say, listen to me now and hear me later. And we can listen to something without hearing. And Jesus's call is for us to have ears to hear. His call is for us to have ears to hear, with the important distinction being, I think, that hearing is the higher order. Hearing is the higher order because it's active and actionable. Hearing leads to action. And it becomes evident that we've heard something when we do something about it. How might we have forsaken the love we had at first? How is Jesus inviting us to hear his call to love? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, the church is is ultimately not a building or an institution. The church is the people, right? Which means that there's a personal dimension to our hearing too. And so as we close this morning, I want to create some space for each of us to have ears to hear. And some space for each of us as the church uh, to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so I want to invite you to close your eyes now, if you're comfortable doing that. Find a comfortable position in your seat and allow yourself to settle and become present in the silence. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the Spirit inviting you to hear this morning about his call to love? What is the Spirit inviting you to hear this morning about the call to love? Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of these words from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. And for the way, Father, that through your Spirit, while your word may not be written to us, it still very much is written for us. And Father, would you give ears to hear of the ways that we have forsaken the love that we have had at first? And would you give us ears to hear the ways that we can 
respond more fully to your call to love. To your call to love you with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength. And your call for us to love one another and to love our neighbors. Would you give us courage to love in a way that enables you in the presence of your kingdom to be known in this place? Courage to love in a way that we would be known as your disciples. We love you, Father, and we thank you for the privilege of being agents of your love. May we be faithful to that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.